Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're going to be doing our popular community connection show. We've got a lot of great questions and some really cool stories to share with you. So please sit back, pour yourself a cup of joe or a mug of tea and join us around the table, won't you? Before we dive into the questions, Denise and I did want to mention next week, March 27th, on a Wednesday night, we're going to be teaching a really awesome webinar called Creating a Spiritually Based Business. It's from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. And we're going to walk you through the basics of how to do the behind-the-scenes business marketing stuff of doing any spiritually based business, where whether it's readings or massage therapy, energy work, healing, Reiki. And if you can't join us on March 27th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, you can still sign up for the class. You'll still get all the handouts. And the next morning, the video of Denise and I teaching the webinar will be in your email inbox. All of that information can be found on both our websites, SamanthaFay.com and Denise's is TheGratefulMessenger.com. Okay. You ready to jump into the questions and stories, Denise? Yes, and just really quickly, I, I want to say happy spring to everyone because we are shifting in this supermoon and equinox, and right before we got on the air when we were talking about how this, it all of a sudden feels like things are getting lighter, and it's time for new energy to come in and set some new goals, so I hope that if or if people are entering fall in the southern hemisphere, this has been really powerful energy these last couple of weeks. So I just wanted to acknowledge that for folks that might be thinking, what's going on in my life? Wow, things feel really different. Yeah, I agree. It's It's been an intense energy, but it's also been a hopeful light energy. Yes, it feels good. I, just, I found it hilarious that Facebook and Instagram went down like the day after Mercury went retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I wanted to go see everybody. It really is a thing. And I, it has been a strong Mercury retrograde, that's for sure. But we're halfway through, so. Yes. Yay. Do you want to do the first one? Sure. This um, is a really neat dream experience that we have to share with you from a listener. I have a question for you. I dreamt recently that I was standing at the bottom of the stairs of a house I didn't know. There were two other people with me, and I also didn't know who they were. One of them was telling me to go up the stairs and tell him to go. He was a spirit in the house, and I was there to get rid of him. But I was scared and didn't want to go up the stairs. At that point, I woke up. I got out of bed and went to the bathroom. On my way back to bed, I brushed past a person standing on the side of my bed. My husband was asleep in bed, so it wasn't him. I physically felt another person brush my shoulder. I got back into bed with an overwhelming feeling that this person was the same spirit that had been in my dream. Is that possible? I lay in bed, calmed myself, and asked the person to leave. They had no right to be in my room and to leave. And they did. They haven't been back. I'm so convinced it was the same spirit as my dream, and I'm curious to know more than anything, if something like that is even possible. Okay, well, I have had similar, several similar experiences to this woman who had this dream encounter. So I can say from my experience, yes, this is possible. 
I do think it can be really scary, especially the first couple of times it happens. But as I've said before in the show, Denise, I call this phenomenon night workers. And I do believe that some of us are called to work in the astral levels during the sleep state. I believe that our soul travels. And because we are light workers at night, we become night workers. And we use our light to help both cross over or adjust to the other side. Some night workers I've heard about from other listeners will spend time meeting with other living people and giving messages or doing readings. There's lots of work that we often do when we are asleep. And so I do believe that she's a night worker and she was going to help him cross over. On the astral level, we have much deeper understanding of what's going on. Our higher self is in charge when we're in the astral state rather than our conscious mind that is in in control during our day-to-day life. So when she woke up from that dream, you know, she wasn't able to connect with her higher self. And so she was back in the rational conscious mind and thought, holy cow, what was that? That was scary. And then she shut it down. So there is a way, I believe, to open that back up if you choose to. And there's a way to keep that shut down if you don't want to do that kind of work. To me, it's an indicator that she is a natural medium because that's what that word medium means. When you are a medium, you are a link between the other side and this side. One of the first experiences I had as a night worker, I was trying to help a newly deceased couple. They had just died in a car accident. And I was trying to help them cross over and they weren't, they were in such a state of shock. They weren't hearing me. And I said to my guide, very frustratingly, you do it. You know, they're not listening to me. And my guide said, they can't hear me or see me. That's why we need you. You are the medium. You know, and they said it kind (laughs) of like, duh. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think? Well, Two things. I love, love, love the fact that she said, asked this person to leave and they did because that's the rule. Yeah. Very forceful. You can get out, you can push them out. That, that's really, really important to remember, I think. And they, I don't know if it's a karmic, I don't know what kind of rule covers that. But what I have found is if you tell them to leave, they have to leave. The other thing is the symbolism of going up the stairs in the dream. And staircases and moving up is usually about going to a higher level of consciousness or things moving in an upward direction. And I think that that's a very symbolic piece to consider in this as well, as far as she's uh, moving to another. I, I definitely think the person in the dream and the spirit energy she has to leave were the same because what, as you were reading it, I got a flash of kind of being in that in-between state or being lucid dreaming. And I agree with everything you said as far as being a natural medium, very intuitive. And interestingly, for a lot of folks, that's how the mediumship may begin is coming in through dream work or night work because our defenses are down and we're more open to it. I love that you bring up the symbolism of the staircase. That's an excellent point because that's so true. Oftentimes, even people who are in the dying process will say in the hospital room that they see an airplane or a staircase or a vehicle, some type of mode of transportation to go up to the other side. Very cool. Ready for the next one? Yes. Okay. Hello, ladies. 
I hope that you're both well. I've been listening to you guys since you've begun this podcast and to psychic teachers before that. So thank you for all of your sage words and spiritual inspiration. I write you today to ask a question about being an empathic parent to an empathic toddler. As I'm sure you both know well, being a parent to a toddler is, in general, a tumultuous journey. But I'm finding that the older my almost four-year-old gets, the more intense her emotions become which is not only tolling to try and handle for the obvious reason, but as an empathic, I'm, trying to, I'm finding myself in a constant state of depletion. I really want to be able to encourage her sensitivities. When we have quiet conversations about her feelings and how curious she is about the people and world around her, I'm shocked and elated by her depth. But the fact is her deep feelings have a real effect on me. And it doesn't help that with all of the wisdom, she fancies herself the boss in our relationship. I'm pretty sure that in a past life, she was my mom, and she's not very fond of the current setup. I'm just wondering if you could shed a little light on the subject of parenting young children as an empath. Between my sensitive little girl and my very energetic six-month-old, I'm desperate for any tips on how to keep my energy levels, physical, mental, and spiritual, high. Thank you. She's right in the thick of it. Yeah, she sure is. <laughs> I think that there are, though, a lot of really good tips and techniques that she can try. I'm going to throw out the ones that I tried and worked for me, but I'd love to hear what works for you because that's one thing I just want to start with before giving any quote-unquote advice. Every child is different. And not one technique or tip is going to work for all. So all we can speak of is what worked for us. Don't, don't you agree? A hundred percent, yes. Um, with my kids, what worked a lot was giving them the illusion of choice. <laughs> you know, rather than saying, put your shoes on, and, you know, having the two-year-old tantrum that would ensue, I would say, do you want to wear your sparkly purple shoes today or your sneakers? And that helps alleviate a lot of that. The other thing that helped me tremendously was having a pretty rigid schedule with flexibility in that schedule. So again, kind of like that illusion of choice. One of the things I think is so important with young kids is to get them out of the house first thing in the morning, every single day, if possible. So if you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a working mom and it's the weekend, I think it's really important to have a routine that the kid can rely on and kind of lean into, where every morning we get up, we eat breakfast, we go to playtime, we go to the park, we go for a bike ride, we go to the museum, to the library, to play group, to gymnastics, to kinder music, to whatever it might be, but have an activity pretty quickly after they wake up and eat and then have the rest of the day be a consistent routine and then there's lunch time and then there's nap time now two of my kids love nap time until they entered kindergarten my youngest hated nap time wouldn't even consider it so I just changed the name to quiet time and I said you can do whatever you want between the hours of two and three but you have to be alone and you have to be quiet. I think it's so important for a highly sensitive child to learn how to be alone and how to enjoy that solace and that silence. 
And then I really think, especially for highly sensitive kids, that the bedtime routine needs to be kind of involved, but the same thing every single night. You know, like for my kids, we would always play the same music. I had a little CD called Peaceful Time, and I would play that every single night right after dinner. Like I would start the bedtime process at like 6.15, not even kidding. And we'd listen to the music and we'd pick out our pajamas. And again, the illusion of choice. Do you want to wear these pajamas or these pajamas? Instead of saying, time to get your pajamas on. And then we'd run the bath. And my bath time, oh my gosh, I did so much to keep them in that bath because I know how important that time of just splashing and relaxing is. Like, for example, I would get little cups and I would get food coloring and droppers. And I'd fill the cups with water on the edge of the tub and each kid would get their own little dropper and I'd say, how do we make green? And so I'd put like, you know, they could just play with the food coloring all, oh, they loved it. And they would just drop it into the water and they'd make different colors and I'd get, you know, spoons and they could stir it up. And um, I always had little bath toys and uh, bubbles that they could, you know, the little bubble wands, all sorts of stuff just to entertain them and keep them in that bath for at least 20 to 30 minutes so that they could really separate from their day and calm down and focus on something else. And then after the bath time, you know, I would lay out five books on the floor and say, each of you can pick one book for me to read. And it, it, that type of that illusion of choice just eliminates a lot of fighting. And then we would read a story and then we would do prayer time and then I would tuck them in and then I would prepare. I think you have to prepare. Like I would prepare for at least one of them to come out of bed twice. I need water. I need to go to the bathroom. I miss the dog. Can I pet the dog? You know, and after those two times, then I would say, that's it. It's bedtime. Good night. And then the third eye kiss is always really helpful where you just kiss them over their third eye and, and calm them down. But anyway, those are my main tips. Illusion of choice, a fairly regimented routine that the child can ease into and rely on, and a very thorough bedtime process. It's interesting because as you were talking, I was nodding my head because they're the same exact things that I did when my sons were younger. And one of the things of the choices is it's very empowering for your little person to to make those choices and to feel more strong within themselves, that more confidence and also not control in the negative sense of the word, but it, it's a very um, nice way and it's a good precursor for when they get older. That's another thing. All of, here's a little tip. Your three and four year olds are going to show up again in all their glory at 13 and 14 with the same expressions, the same defiance, the same, and they're just bigger. They're in a bigger body, but you go through this again. I, I, for most people, I can't say everyone, but that seems to be a, a, a natural growth pattern in developmental levels. The other thing of the structure, the routines, that also for, for us as empaths, but also for our children, it, it makes it easier to navigate the, uh, the quiet wine time in the evening. We used to shut this and my children are older, but even I used to have no screen time. And this was back when things were first really coming out, the video games, all that stuff. 
but we would have no screen time. I always read books to them when they were little tiny people and they'd sit on my lap and we would just talk about them and use silly voices and do all that stuff because I think that also gives that security and that bonding time with your child that is, it, it allows things to just settle down. You made a really good point with the bath time routine of it's about just lowering the energy. I mean, John Holland of teaching kids to turn down their chakras, turn down, dim your light. The other thing uh, as far as transitions, whether it's going to school or going to the store or going to daycare, whatever it might be, is it's often very helpful for sensitive kids to pre-teach okay, in 10 minutes, we're going to do this, or after the lights go off, then we're going to do, I mean, just let them know what's coming next. And, and the only other thing I can add to this would be to normalize being highly sensitive the best you can. Just make it part mm. of, of what life is on the planet, because these little folks and a lot of big folks are, are truly not not shutting down they're they're keeping it wide open and the more normal and every day we can make that um the, i think the easier it's going to be for them as they continue to grow and evolve on the planet those are awesome tips i totally agree especially about giving them the warning i used to be so surprised when i was in play groups and one of the moms would just stand up and go okay johnny time to go get your coat and then she'd be shocked when the kid freaked out. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like I would have to give my kids three warnings. Hey, just so you know, we're going to be leaving soon. And then 10 minutes later, hey, guys, can you look for your shoes? we got to go in like 10 minutes. And then again, hey, guys, start helping to clean up because we have to leave in five minutes. I mean, that's how I had to do it or else there would be that big, you know, no, I don't want to go. It would be a big meltdown. So, and, and that's, yeah. uh, I think that's kind of a generational thing too, though, because when I would do that with the boys around my mother, she would say, oh, you're just coddling them. They just need to get, they need to be more flexible. They just need to go. And I'm, I'm saying that kind of harshly and I don't mean it that way. It was just a different generation of looking at things. So that's yeah. another little caveat I want to just slide in under the door is as an empath, trust that you do know what's best for your child. And, and figure yeah. out if they have a different routine or a different strategy, but, but also what works for you. Like when you rewind the tape and think about what it was like to be a little kid, what would have made it easier for you to navigate on the planet? That's so true. And I think you have to, look, you have to parent each of your children differently. You know, like my, one of my children, I have to kind of strongly encourage her to do things. And then once she does them, she's like, oh, I'm so glad you kind of made me do that. That was really fun. With another child, I cannot encourage her to do it. Like she just has to have her own mind all the time. And so I've learned to parent each of them differently. And I, and I think that's important. It's raising kids is not one size fits all. Very good. Point. You know, and I think with um, little empaths too, they need to have days where they can just do what they want. I, I'm a really big advocate of that. And I, I don't know if everyone is going to agree with me, but there are some days where my kids will just, one of them will just say, I really don't want to go to school tomorrow. And it's not like if it were like an everyday thing, you know, 
we've worked through that. But if there's just like a really difficult week, lots of testing quizzes, and then I hear her going, oh, I don't want to go to school tomorrow, what have you, I'll let her sleep in late and I'll take her later. Sometimes I'll just let her stay home and I just call it a bed day and she can just stay in bed and watch TV and just recoup. Um, other days, if they're, if one of them is just having a hard week, I'll just surprise them and pick them up right after lunch. Because if any of you guys have kids in school, you know, their work day is basically over at 1230 and then it's just lunch and stupid extracurricular stuff. Um, stuff like that gives them that feeling that they're not alone in this. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's kind of scary to be a kid. And I, I think you nailed a really, really good point about having time to just decompress, to have quiet time, to be in your pajamas until three o'clock in the afternoon, whatever it might be for your little person, because we're trying to figure out how to take care of ourselves at this point. And wouldn't it be wonderful to help these little folks figure that out early? It's not all the time. It's once in a while. It's just to let everybody relax and decompress. Yes. And the last thing I just want to say to this mom is every night when you lay down on the pillow, I just want her to say, did I do my best today? Mm -hmm. And just be okay with that. Because really, that's all we are doing, all of us moms and dads. We're doing our best every day. Right. And we just need to remind ourselves of that. Okay. You want me to read the next one? Yes, please. Okay. Oh, wait. Before I get into that one, let me just tell people about our webinars that we have coming up. Okay. Before I forget. Okay. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, on March 27th, we have our Business of Being Spiritual class where we're going to teach people the behind-the-scenes, businessy stuff of doing this work. In April, we're teaching our advanced mediumship class in the evenings. We're very excited about that. I think it's almost full. In May, I'm going to be teaching my Be Your Own Psychic webinar. That's going to be the four Thursdays in May uh, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you have any interest in learning about psychic abilities, please sign up for that. Each week you'll be partnered with someone from class and have exercises to test your psychic prowess. And then in June, again on Thursday evenings, Denise and I are teaching our beginner's mediumship class. And all of that information can be found on our websites, samanthafay.com and thegratefulmessenger.com. And we'll also post them on our Facebook page. So if you haven't joined us on Facebook yet, please do. You can find us at Enlightened Empath. So lots of great webinars. And remember, we do record all of them now. So if you can't make one of the classes, it's not a problem. They are all emailed to you the very next day. All right. So our next question says, hi, Samantha and Denise. Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. I love listening to it on my two hours of daily commuting around Washington, D.C. Your light and wisdom are lovely antidotes to the road rage around here. Isn't that nice, Denise? It is very nice. Yeah, it's nice to hear what people are doing when they listen to our show. <laughs> I wanted to share something. <laughs> okay, sorry. Stay focused, Samantha. This is a really good story. I wanted to share something that happened two weeks ago after I listened to your fantastic interview with Dr. Judith Orloff. I just love her. She mentioned that she meditates on her heart chakra and sends out love to the universe. This stuck with me that night as I was saying prayers and quieting my mind before bed. 
I decided to do this. I spun my fourth chakra and envisioned my loving light going out to wherever it was needed. Then I went to bed. Now, first, a quick backstory. I have an email address that must be very close to a number of other email addresses because over the years, I've gotten other people's mail from time to time. These have all been innocuous and clearly the result of someone quickly typing an unfamiliar email address, like an invitation to a playgroup in New Zealand, a clothing shop receipt from England, Jiffy Lube receipts from Arizona. In any case, about 45 minutes after sending out my love light and going to bed, a misaddressed email showed up in my inbox, and I saw it when I got up the next morning. This one, though, was not a receipt or an invitation. It was from a very distraught young woman who appeared to be caught in a big fight between her love interest and her parents. The email was intended for her love interest, and after apologies and some information on her situation, she said, I'm so lost. I hate my life. I just want to die. Other times when I receive emails not meant for me, I chalk them up to a mistake, but this time felt very different. I know this young lady didn't intend to write to me, but I find the timing right after my meditation to be more than a coincidence. I decided to write back to her, telling her what I would have wanted to hear when I was going through hard times as a high schooler. And so I wrote, you sent this to the wrong email. I don't know what happened, but you will work it out, so hang in there. You sound like you're young. I'm 36 now, but when I was younger, I felt lost too. Sometimes I wished I would die. I'm glad I didn't because my life now is so beautiful. I promise you it gets better. Whatever you're going through now, you will get through. And once you do, you'll look back at it and remember it made you strong. And you'll also be so glad you don't have to live through it again. Be brave and keep moving forward. I truly hope that these words gave this young, this young lady some hope. Thanks to you both and to Dr. Orloff for that episode that inspired me. I will continue to do this meditation and send my loving light to where it is needed most. I don't think I could get any clearer proof that this works. Warm regards. Wow. I have chills all over. Me too. Talk about spirit stepping in. And I think that that email was very much landed in her inbox deliberately. I, I think that that had to happen not only to validate for this lady, but also it seems like her message to the person who was in distress. Doesn't it just seem like it was so beautifully orchestrated? It really does. And her writing is so beautiful. I love the way she worded that email to her. It was so kind, and yet it was strong and emphatic. I've yes. been there. You'll get through this too. It's just perfect. I love it. And it, you know, it reminds me, I think I've shared with you guys my guilty pleasure of reading Chicken Soup for the Soul books. I know people make fun of them, but I love them. And they're just fun reads when you want to read, but don't have the mental energy. Anyway, it reminded me of a Chicken Soup for the Soul story. Like, can't you imagine 10 years from now a woman saying, I was at the end of my rope. My parents didn't accept my love. I was actually considering suicide. And then I got an email from an angel. Like, can't you see that? Yes, very much so. It's really cool. I've been wrestling with an issue that I think goes with heightening consciousness and sensitivity. I work with meditation, chakra clearing and tuning, oracle cards, crystals, pretty much all the tools. What I'm finding as I become more in tune with my empathic nature and have become more aware of my psychic senses, it's 
more and more difficult to be in the world. I find unconsciousness everywhere and often feel overwhelmed by it and sometimes feel hopeless. I keep telling myself that I'm not responsible for other people and I can't change other people and I want to respect that we're all on our own path. But some days it becomes just too much and I feel like I've opened a can of worms. I would love to hear how you both dealt with your awakening senses. Thanks so much. Love you guys and love all you do. Well, sounds like she's singing to the choir as far as... <laughs> what popped into my head is when you've been either around a, a codependent situation or you've been around people who may not have honored your sensitivity and then all of a sudden you do some work with yourself and you open up and you start to see it everywhere you look. And that, that was my own experience is once I started peeking, you know, pushing that door open a little bit, all of a sudden you start seeing the, uh, I don't want to call it, well, if you're talking about a codependent situation, it might be seeing the dysfunction in other places that you might not have seen it before. But I agree with her. And this goes back to what I say constantly, that the light is getting lighter and the dark is getting a little darker. And we're on that tipping point of which way we want to align. And I think that she is so, so spot on with all the things that she's doing. And don't you find that too, though, when you, you do jump down the rabbit hole, it, there's no bottom. You just keep going and going and going. And it does make you more sensitive and attuned to what's going on around you with other people and situations. Yes. I think the spiritual awakening process is one of the most important things we can go through in our lifetime, but it is also the most lonely and isolating process we can go through. It's something that is now thankfully being written about and talked about more because years ago, I don't think people really touched on this. Everybody thought, Ooh, spiritual awakening. That sounds fun. But in many ways, it's not. It kind of reminds me, I'm sure everyone has seen the Wizard of Oz movie, but if you if you haven't actually read the book, it's kind of interesting. And in the book, the Wizard of Oz makes all the residents of Oz wear these green sunglasses so that it obscures their vision. And when Dorothy and her friends get to Oz, one of the things they do is they make everyone take off those glasses. And that's kind of how I look at a spiritual awakening. It's like we've had this film over our eyes where we've seen the world as we've been told to see it. But when we have our spiritual awakening, it's a little bit like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, you know, and, and, and our vision is restored and we see people for who and what they are. Now, luckily, in many circumstances, this is a wonderful blessing. But in some circumstances, it can be painful and make you feel lonely and isolated and as though you're the only one who's awakened. There are a lot of physical symptoms of going through a spiritual awakening that obviously you should check with your doctor first. But some people will actually have more aches and pains in their body or have more headaches or feel a pressure and some of their chakras, especially their third chakra, or the ringing in the ears, or um, they might see sparks of light out of the corner of their eyes. Their dream life might, be, might become more vivid and real. So there's a lot of actual symptoms you can point to. But the emotional ones are kind of this, this ping-pong feeling of one day you'll feel elated and light and airy and happy and on top of the world, and then the next day you'll feel pessimistic and alone and judgy and as though 
everyone is a piece of shit and <laughs> awful. And I really think in my own experience and from doing a lot of reading and research on this, I think the only way to get through it is like Winston Churchill said, just keep going. You know, you just have to keep walking through it. And the more you embrace all those changing and turning emotions, the the quicker you'll get through the process. And that feeling of ugh, and freakiness will dissipate slowly, but surely. So, yeah, I think that she just needs to keep embracing all, all of her emotions. You know, don't just embrace the happy ones. Embrace the, the other ones, too. I think what helped me the most is I went through mine when I got my Reiki master's degree. And our teacher told us, you will feel kind of sad and yucky for about six months, you know, while you're processing this old energy through you. And just keep doing Reiki on yourself every day and keep meditating. And so I had the three other ladies from that class to email and talk to and reach out, and they were all going through it too. So if she can find like-minded people during that spiritual awakening time, that can be very helpful. And if not, read books about other people going through spiritual awakening. So if you read any biography of a psychic, a medium, or a spiritual teacher, that can be very helpful too. That was very well put. A lot of information, really good information. And also, it doesn't, when you were describing the symptoms, I was thinking how many, it, that doesn't really ever fully go away, but you gain mm. more of a sense of self-acceptance and inner strength the longer you're on the path. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, and if she wants to check out my other podcast, Psychic Teachers, we did a whole episode on signs that you're going through a spiritual awakening. It's episode 185. But I was telling Denise, I think we should do a show on the empath and spiritual awakening. I agree. So if, if anyone has stories or questions about being an empathic through a spiritual awakening, please send us an email or message us on Facebook and we'll put it all together. Um, for an upcoming show, because I just think this is a big topic. I really do feel that more and more empaths are awakening right now than ever before on this planet. Yes, very much so. I'll read the next one. Hi, Samantha and Denise. I recently had a vivid dream where I was walking with my Aunt Florence, who as a child I was very close to. We were in Kennebunkport, Maine, where she often went on religious retreats. It was one of her favorite places. As we were walking, she told me that I should stop worrying so much about money. I've had a lot of financial stress over the last few years and that she was going to make sure I was taken care of. I've had visitation dreams with loved ones who have crossed over and this very much felt like that, only my aunt is still alive. She's in her late 80s and in poor health, but in the dream, she was much younger and healthier. My question is, can you have a visitation dream with someone who is still alive? I know the dream did not feel like a dream, but something more. I've just never heard of having this kind of experience with someone who is living. Any insight would be great. Love the show. Okay, well, I'm just going to jump in before you do, Denise, because to really resonate with this experience. I have had this happen to me so many times. And so, yes, I definitely believe that this can happen and that it is an actual visitation. Um, I have one quick story I want to share about that. 
years ago when I was working through some of my issues with my mom, I've you know, never shied away from the fact on this show that my mom and I have a, um, a difficult relationship. I and mean, I love her deeply and I know she loves me deeply, but you know, there's some issues there. And I had this dream years ago that she and I were sitting at this outdoor cafe. The ocean was right behind us. And we were just, you know, I don't know, having, I think I was drinking a Diet Coke and she was having coffee like we always do and just sipping our drinks. And she said, so how are you doing, honey? And she rarely calls me honey in normal life. And I said, I'm okay. And she said, no, really. Is, is, and she motioned between the two of us and she said, is this thing going okay? And I said, yeah, it's hard sometimes, but I'm, I'm working through it. And then she sighed and she said, I got to tell you, honey, it is hard as hell being such a bitch. It's just not who I am. (laughs) And she said, but I really hope it's helping you. And I held her hand and I said, mom, it really is helping me. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And then I woke up. And in many ways, that dream kind of changed my life because I thought, oh my goodness, like what if she did incarnate as kind of a cantankerous person to teach me strength and self-love? And since my father has had the beginning stages of Alzheimer's, I have had several dreams where he and I are sitting at that cafe with the ocean right behind him and we are just talking and just catching up. There's nothing (laughs) monumental like I incarnated to teach you this. We're just talking like we normally do. And I remember in one of the dreams, as I'm talking to him in this beautiful Oceanside Cafe, I could hear my alarm go off in my bedroom in my real world. And I said, oh, I got to go. And it was like, you know, those pull strings on a toy? It was like there was a pull string in my back. And my dad was reaching out his hand to me. And I was holding his hand. And then I was just pulled back and right into my body. And I woke up and turned my alarm off. That's very cool. And, and I agree. I think that you can very much have visitation dreams with people that are alive. And it can be that. Yeah. Um, I have no doubt about that. It happens. And at, there was someone who got in touch with us a while back who said she had dreamt about this person that she felt was her soulmate. And it felt so real and so true and so genuine. And I think sometimes we will have dreams about people either from other lifetimes or this lifetime, but it's generally apparent for something that we're, they're there for something we're going through in our lives at the time. And your example with your mom is a great, great way to put it of, I think with whatever was going on between the two of you at the time, that gave you some level of solace and peace and a new perspective on how to look at your relationship. Yes. And I do think that our living family members who love us and care for us can help us on the other side. We have to remember that the world we are cognizant of is such a small percent of the actual world our soul lives. Our soul is ginormous and it is connected to everything and all that is. And we are only aware of a very small part of what we are actually doing. When you think about it, we're only awake, what, 16, 18 hours a day? And of those 16 to 18 hours a day that we're awake, 
how many of those hours are we really conscious? I'm serious. Like, how much of your day is just kind of routine rote? True. You know, where you just get up, you wash your hair, you put your makeup on, you get in the car, you drive to work, you go through the motions at work, you drive home. And there were so many points of my day where I don't even remember. I mean, just as a quick aside, it is pathetic, Denise. On Saturdays and Sundays when I put the kids in the car and we're driving somewhere, I will mm-hmm. automatically drive to their school. <laughs> and we'll go, Mom, not that road. We're not going to school. Because so much of our lives, we're just on this automatic pilot. And mm-hmm. I think when we're on that automatic pilot, our higher self is busy doing work on the other side. Right. And you're doing right. We can help others. Look at our our lovely story from Washington, D.C., where her soul somehow reached out and helped this young woman who was going through a really difficult time. Both living people still help each other on a different dimension. Beautiful. All right. I will shut up. We have time for one more question if you want yeah. to read the last one. Uh, hi, Samantha and Denise. I love the show. Thank you for all the love and light you share with the world. I have a question about manifestation. I've been trying to manifest a permanent position where I work for over about a year. Synchronicities and events were happening that made it made it seem like everything was aligning and the universe was telling me this was it and it was going to happen and then it didn't. The message I think I, re- I received is not right now. How can you tell when things are meant for you or not meant for you when you're getting signs that it seems like it's supposed to happen? I asked for specific signs and got them. It was so confusing. Do you have any advice around this? Thank you for your time and all you do. I think we all go through that. I think we all have, and and if you use any sort of divination, it might be cards or pendulum or runes, and they're being supportive of this. You're getting your signs that you're asking spirit for. And I think she truly, truly nailed it with the timing. Is it going to happen Probably, if, if everything's aligning for that and it's for her highest and best, yes, I do think it will. But that's the, the very blunt version. It's frustrating as hell when we're so sure intuitively, we're getting the signs, uh, we're getting support from other things in our lives that are saying this is going to happen. One really good thing is to surrender and try to get the hell out of the way. Let it go. Stop dwelling on it. And I I know there's a dear friend of mine who's laughing very hard at this right now because I whine about the same thing every day. Well, should I do this? Should I not do this? And I think that when we get too much in our head about it, it can influence the direction things are going to take. Or, or it's that whole thing of getting ego out of the way. But surrender is a huge thing. Put down the cards. Put down the runes. Don't pick up the pendulum. Don't look for signs. Just completely let it go for a little bit. And then you can revisit it. That's my own personal aside on that. I totally agree. I just want to add uh, my two cents. I think there's two main reasons why this happens. One is it's so hard to read for ourselves. It really, really, truly is. And I think oftentimes we see the signs and we feel the answer that we want to see and that we want to feel. And so I think that's one reason that this can happen. The other reason I think this happens is because our guides are protecting us. So, and it can often be things you won't understand or see until years have passed. Like, for example, I wrote a novel 
and all the signs were pointing to the fact that this was going to be, this is going to be it. This is going to be a big deal. I had two agents who were fighting over it. I picked one agent. She thought I was like going to be the next big thing, pumped up my ego. Long story short, uh, she could not sell it to the, the top six publishers. And so she dropped me. I was devastated. Didn't write for years after that experience. When I look back at that novel I wrote now, Denise, it no longer reflects my beliefs. And I look at that book and the message I was trying to get out through those fictional characters. And I think, oh, Samantha, if that were out on bookshelves, you would be mortified. And so it's a blessing in disguise. That was, what, 2007 or 8? Something. It was a long time ago. And I couldn't see, I couldn't even see that until about two years ago because it still hurt so bad because I wanted it so badly. And every sign, every sign was saying, yes, go for it, green lights. But I really think the reason why it was pushing me for these green lights and do this and do that was so that it could be slammed down and shut down because nothing else is going to make me give up that project. And in those intervening years, I've really altered my worldview on a main theme that that main character was dealing with. And I think, I don't know that I'd want to be pushing that idea anymore. So it could be that this promotion, it just might be a timing issue, but it might be that that was just not a good area for her to be in right now. And she might not be able to see that until five, six years down the road. So it goes back to what you originally said, surrender. It, it also applies to a job, a writing a book, a relationship, a move. It applies to every aspect of our lives. And I mean, I'll joke about it and say, when I'm getting really obsessive about something, I know I need to take a step back. But then I'll catch myself like going in around the back door and, well, what about this? What about that? Do they? And I think truly let go, let God or get out of the way or whatever, but just not to do a reading on the air. But I really think that this there is a better opportunity coming for this woman. And she's going to look because I look back over her shoulder and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that didn't work out the way I thought it was supposed to. Yes. Yep. Well, we hope we have shed some light and some insight on some of these wonderful questions and phenomenal stories. I was thinking, you know, Denise, we need to save some of these questions because they're just, you know, some of the stories we get, I just love them so much. We could have our own chicken soup for the soul. <laughs> <laughs> we could. We could have enlightened empaths chicken soup for the soul. That's not a bad idea. That's right. One of the things before we started recording, I was thinking, you know, this is, it's nice to hear other people's stories because it validates that we're all in this together, but I'm sure there are mm. a lot of people that are listening to someone's, you can relate to it in a different way than something that you or I might just say. Right. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. We are not alone in this together. We are, we are all that is so funny. That was the name of one of my first novels. That's really, really crappy upon reflection. Do you know what I wanted to name it? What? It's so dramatic and over the top. <laughs> and together we arrived alone. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. 
we all have much learning and growing to do. Clearly, I do with the writing. But as I said, and as you so beautifully pointed out, we're all in this together. So if you have a question or a story you'd like to share for our April Community Connections, you can send us an email, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on Facebook, Enlightened Empaths. And don't forget, we hope you can join us next Wednesday for our Business of Being Spiritual webinar. We're going to teach you for about an hour and 30 minutes and then open it up for questions. So it's going to be a really fun evening. We hope to see you there. In the meantime, don't forget to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care, everyone, and have a great week.